This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. At this time tomorrow, the vote will be underway and we won't be allowed to talk about the election. So, with one day to go, this is the final countdown. It's the final countdown. The final countdown. Okay, we've had fun with our musical moment there, and uh, I hope nobody is calling to complain about that music. Now let's get down to the important questions, because there are a lot of people who won't be making their minds up until they get into the voting booth. Since yesterday, we have seen more details on the lawsuit launched by Renata Ford, Rob Ford's widow, against Doug Ford, the PC leader. So the question is, will it make a difference at this late stage? Will it hurt his numbers? Will it even deprive him of power or of a majority? There are also people who are annoyed with Andrea Horvath, and they say she hit a low point by making an issue of what is in essence a family matter. So we want to hear from you, your take on it. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And a few weeks ago, we told you about Polly, the artificial intelligence computer that has successfully predicted the outcome of other races. On our panel today, Aaron Kelly, President and CEO of Advanced Symbolics. And and Aaron, is it okay to refer to you as Polly's mom? (laughs) Sure. Okay. Also joining us, Jerry Nichols, political strategist and communications consultant, Ryan Guptill from Navigator. Thanks, you, all of you, for joining us. Hi. Hi. Okay, let us start with Aaron. So I gather Polly has made a prediction. Well, Polly, you know, we do want to see for today if there's any more fallout from the Rob Ford, uh, sorry, from the Doug Ford lawsuit, the Ford family lawsuit. So far, what we saw was last yesterday, um, lots and lots of people talking about it, uh, certainly very negatively. But what we saw this morning is there it has not affected the PC standings. They're still looking at a majority government. So while people might be upset about the lawsuit and discussing it, we're certainly not seeing that it's moving any, changing any minds. Okay. Uh, can you just uh, tell us in, in, in lay terms how you separate that out, uh, that people are talking about it and that it's a negative, but it's not changing anything? Sure. We, we saw yesterday that about of the people discussing the election, and there's about 2 million people in Ontario that we've got discussing the election, Seventy over 70% were talking about this issue yesterday. Actually, sorry, it was 35% were talking about the issue yesterday. Wow. And of those, a good 70% were very negative about it, and 21% were defending Mr. Ford um, in this in this case. So while, the, while people were largely 
either being neutral or negative, um, we we have not seen that translate into a change of seat count. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, Jerry Nichols, what's your take on it? Well, first of all, Libby, um, you know, usually when I talk about polling numbers, it's it's because I'm talking to a chain-smoking, alcohol-drinking, grizzled old pollster. <laughs> yes. I've never heard of a robot, you know, talking about poll numbers, which is, like, you know, great for the advancement of science. And in this case, I would agree with the robot. Um, the timing of this was terrible for Ford, you know, because a few days before the election, this is when people are actually paying attention. Most of the times, they're not. And it's just just before they go in the, to vote, they start saying, hey, there's an election on. I, I better start watching the news. So the timing was terrible. What made it even worse is this wasn't another party attacking him. This was his own family. So that adds another wrinkle to it. But I, my sense is, and this is where I would agree with the robot, my, my, my sense is that people have already discounted you know, all the, the, the baggage that Doug Ford has. They're basically saying, yeah, we know what he's like. We know all the problems he has. But we still like him anyway because he's different. He's changed. So I think he might be immune to this kind of attack. Um, we'll see. Okay. And Ryan Guptill, what's your take? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the negative commentary was coming from people who had already decided that they weren't in favor of Doug Ford. It reinforces their views. But for those people who were in, who had decided that they support Doug Ford, I think that this just uh, is seen as a last-minute attack on him, and it's just not going to have the effect that. Uh, probably uh, Mrs. Ms. Ford, uh, who sued him, wanted uh, wanted it to have in the last in the last week. I think it may have uh, actually entrenched some conservative support when people feel sorry for him. Well, um, actually, if I could just jump in there, uh, we did se- separate out the people who were being negative and whether or not they were Ford supporters. And thirty percent of them were Ford supporters, so they were disappointed to see this. They were quite negative about it. So it wasn't just uh, NDP or Liberal supporters who were uh, commenting on this yesterday. But even so, it has not changed people's view of how to vote in the election so far. What about this business, Erin, of it going to the core of his brand? Because basically she's saying um, he's claiming to be a great businessman, but he's running this company into the ground or has run it into the ground. Well, I think this is an example of where it's not, the timing, in fact, isn't working for Renata Ford because uh, I don't know that people have had the time to read through or have taken the time to read through the details of the lawsuit. Um, you know, when it's two days before an election, people are kind of getting the sound bites. Usually, um, you know, on the, usually what they'd want to see is that if you really wanted to make a scandal out of this, you give people about a week, you give the journalists time to go through it and see the veracity of it. There just hasn't been time to do that. And I, you know, what we've seen in other elections is when an issue is complicated, um, it takes more time for people's minds to change. And I think in two days, people aren't going to get into well, what were the sh- values of the shares of his company and, uh, you know, what, what was he paying himself? And th- those details weren't there. So I, I don't think um, people have had time to absorb that. Um, would you agree with that, uh, Jerry and Ryan? And also, th- there have been some newer details. Uh, Rob Ford's family home is up for sale. Uh, it looks like for sale by owner. Uh, th- the widow and the children have already moved out. And uh, it, the records show that the house has been very heavily mortgaged since his death. I, would you agree that it's just that people haven't really digested that or what? Well, I think it has to do with branding. 
I, I don't really think uh, Doug Ford has branded himself as a great businessman. He's not, he's not like Trump in that regard. I don't think he said, hey, I'm a really successful businessman. And I don't think he's you know, sold himself as you know, some kind of paragon of virtue either. I think he's basically said, I'm not Kathleen Wynn. And if you want change, vote for me because I'm going to be the opposite of Kathleen Wynn. And I think that's been his branding. That's been his message. And this scandal, you know, is as bad as it might be and as, much, as bad as you know, people might think negatively about that, it hasn't changed that sort of pitch that Ford is making. He still can say, look, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to, you know, I hear your anger. I'm going to, you know, as you, we heard the clip, I'm going to lower gas prices, whatever. That's still his message and it could still work for him and propel him to victory. Yeah, I'd largely agree with that. I mean, as as Aaron said, it does take a while for these narratives to set as well. It, it doesn't just happen overnight, and uh, I think that it might have just been a little too little too late for uh, to to have much momentum among voters. What about... The- to, oh, sorry, I was going to say, you have to also understand, he's branded himself as anti-elite, not just that he's for the people, so I think in a way this makes him look like he's like everybody else. He's got family issues. He's got, you know, he's not above that fray. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, what about the other side of that? And that's Andrea Horvath and Kathleen Wynne, though she seems to be kind of out of it, uh, that I've heard negative comments saying that they have stooped low by making comments about this. Uh, did anyone see any evidence of that? Well, we certainly saw, Polly showed that Andrea Horvath's numbers are down today over yesterday. Uh, yesterday, in the popular vote, she was ahead of the PCs. Now she's behind the PCs by two points. It hasn't made a big difference in, well, it has made some difference in seat council by about two seats, but she has gone down, and possibly that's the reason. I think this feels very human to people, right? Like, they can understand and relate to the fact that there are family troubles in nearly every family, and to see it dragged out by a leader uh, to use for their political advantage, I think, was not necessarily the smartest move. Uh-huh. And uh, it was interesting to me that I didn't see any criticism of Kathleen Wynne, and I think that's just because uh, people have tuned her out, uh, though she made a very long announcement today that was quite bizarre, with uh, somebody standing next to her looking at her lovingly and not saying a word. It, is is she totally out of the picture, guys? I think she's put herself out of the picture. Um, you know, in a, in a really strange and bizarre strategy, she's basically said, I'm not going to win. Uh, and so by her own sort of actions, she's made this into a two-party race. She's made this a, into a race between the NDP and the PCs. And so, yeah, in that kind of situation, you know, why even talk about her? She's no longer relevant to the discussion. Not not only has she taken herself out, but she hasn't said that she will step down after Thursday. So I I heard her on an interview yesterday. They were asking her, will you step down? And they asked her why she won't commit to that. And she said, well, because if I form a minority, if there's a minority government, they're going to need a strong voice. And I was like, okay, so... You're not necessarily out? Nobody really knows what Kathleen Wynne is doing right now. (laughs) Maybe Kathleen Wynne doesn't know. (laughs) It's it's an odd approach because she said that she was going to take herself out of the story and then spent the next three days on a a media tour getting her face on as many uh, television screens as possible. So I'm not quite sure what the the strategy is with that. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, what does, what's Polly's seat count and where did the Liberals stand? Uh, the Liberals are at one seat, the NDP at 47, and the PCs at 76. Wow. Clear PC majority government. One seat. And do you know yeah. which seat that is? 
Uh, right now, it's Toronto Centre. So it's not Kathleen Winstead. Toronto Centre. I. That's not University Rosedale. Does anybody offhand know um, who that is there? That's David Morris. He's a first-time candidate. Oh, well, uh, wow. <laughs> David Morris, be careful what you wish leader. for. <laughs> yeah, Sorry? Leader, yeah. Sorry, I just talked over somebody. I was just making a joke that he was instantly going to be the new liberal leader on June 8th. <laughs> the liberal leader in the House. Right. <laughs> David Morris. Wow. I, I, I was, for a while, I thought that maybe the first-time candidate, the first-time liberal candidate in my writing might get in, uh, though uh, another pollster I was talking to said, you know, don't be fooled by all uh, the uh, lawn signs. That's in St. Paul's. And St. Paul's was, was close. St. Paul's is less than a percent away from going liberal. So we've been toggling St. Paul's in and out. Right now it's PC by, like I said, by a percentage. But it could it could toggle. It could toggle. Uh, what are some of the other seats that are in play and critical to the race? Well, for Andrea Horvath, um, we've identified three that we feel she needs to win if she's going to be successful. Uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Cambridge, and Huron Bruce. They're all PC ridings right now, but um, Polly feels that they, the undecideds are high enough and, um, you know, with a little bit of fairy dust, they might go uh, NDP. And so that's what we'll be looking for tomorrow night to see if those three ridings show early signs of going NDP. But right now they're PC. And when you meet, when you say successful, you mean winning or winning? Winning. 40? Winning. And uh, there's a lot of been a lot of talk about a, an NDP sweep in Toronto. Erin um, was just telling us she she thinks uh, there's at least one seat there that may go PC. Jerry Nichol, what do you make of that? Well, I think that would be just an indication of, of liberal collapse. If, if there's an NDP sweep in Toronto, I think for the Conservatives, what they've got to be looking at is the 905 bill. They've got to look at sweeping there um, for them to be successful. Um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, to me, the, the, the real story of this election, it looks like, and listening to Polly, <laughs> it looks like the, the, the Liberal Party is on a real death march now. And, and to me, that's fascinating. Because uh, what will that mean for, you know, heading forward in, 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 in this province's political future? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I hate to, to toot my own horn, but it's been uh, quite a few weeks, actually, probably three weeks since I, I thought this is starting to look like 1993 for the Conservatives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was uh, predicting single digits. We'll see. Uh, R- Ryan, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just very challenging for the Liberals to, to do anything moving forward. I mean, the, going into the election, uh, wins approvals rate, approval ratings were so low that I just didn't see a way for them to uh, to get out of it, and they've really just sunk further. In terms of Toronto and the Conservatives, I think that there are a number of seats that uh, the Conservatives are quite competitive in. I mean, I, knew, I, mean, I know they expect uh, to win the Scarborough seats and uh, the Don Valley, so I expect the Conservatives will be quite competitive in the city uh, tomorrow. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, we're we're actually seeing quite the PCs do quite well in Toronto and in 905. The NDP is strong in the north, and um, so but we're we're definitely seeing strong showing for the PCs. How many seats? How many seats do you have in, in Toronto and died in the wool Toronto people? Uh, I don't know if uh, <laughs> Scarborough counts, but uh, we because we figure Scarborough and Etobicoke would go PC. But what else do you have there? 
Polly. Yeah, Polly's well, well in Mississauga, except for Malton, Brampton is NDP. That's pretty clear. Um, but Scarborough, let me look. I don't have them all memorized, of course, but um, I don't have... Oh, hold it here in a sec. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's hard to look them up all on yeah. the fly, but... Scarborough is, um, yeah, it's looking strong for, for, the, for the PCs. And, I mean, the, for instance, like Kathleen Wynne's seat is uh, quite far downtown, and I think that her seat is uh, currently looked at as a potential flip by the Conservatives, as well as Don Valley East with Denzelman yeah. and Wong, who's a councillor, et cetera. Okay. Yeah, Scarborough Rouge Park, Scarborough North, they're both PC. Um, Don Valley North is PC. Um, so, yeah, and, and Kathleen wins riding is PC. Of course, Etobicoke is going PC. So, Okay, but downtown, not much. Um, well, St. Paul's right now yep. is PC, but like I said, it's only by a percentage point. Um, Toronto Centre is liberal, but that could change. It's been going back and forth as well. York, well, York Centre's not downtown, but it's PC. Um yeah, well, no, I think the PCs are, you know, in order to get that majority government, they, you know, they've they've got a little bit everywhere. So, wow. And if you say that that Toronto Centre riding is going back and forth, uh, that you've just raised a possibility that I don't think anyone is considered no seats. If that, that's we've got it as well. We think she's going to win Toronto Centre right now, but yeah, it has been going back and forth in you know, throughout the campaign. But right now, right now she's got a good lead. So she's 33, the Liberals are 33%, and the NDP is 29%, and the PC 28%. So we think that that they will win Toronto Centre. Wow. Uh, Everybody, please hang on. Uh, We're going to go right to the phones. We've got Margaret in Thornhill. Hello, Margaret. Oh, hi, Libby. Good afternoon. How are you? Fine. pleased to be able to talk to you, and uh, I hope the election goes best for Ontario. Um, uh, uh, The reason why I'm calling is uh, the allegations that are brought up against Ford with his family. That's his private business. It should never have been brought up just so close to the election. Whatever he does in the past, present, or future, that has to deal with the family. Uh, Not only that... I'm a little bit scared with this election. I mean, I've been living in, Everyone is. <laughs> in Ontario since the 50s. I have seen many elections. I've also campaigned and been in the polling station. Uh, it's pretty hard to decide as to who should come in best for Ontario. I know they're pretty close, the PC and the uh, NDP uh, candidates. But uh, I get scared about Ford because... Mike Harris did destroy Ontario at his time of being uh, premier with hospitals closing down and so forth and so forth and jobs being lost, people losing their homes, and um, the economy was really dreadful. I hope this doesn't come up again. I hope we don't see this again. I want to see a lot done for hospitals. That's our main issue. More doctors, more nurses, open hospital doors, put people in more wards and give good health care to the seniors and the people of Ontario that deserve it. This is a very, very important issue, and we have to look at it very, very closely. 
Thank you, Margaret. And thank you. you for taking my call, and good luck, everybody. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Okay, it is time for a quick break. When we come back, we will have more of your calls and more from Jerry Nichols, Ryan Guptill, and Aaron Kelly and Polly. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are going to get to your calls in a moment. We're here with Erin Kelly, the mother of Polly. (laughs) Sorry about that. Ryan Guptill with Navigator and Jerry Nichols, a political consultant. And, you know, our last caller uh, really underlined something that I found very interesting for me. She's talking about, Margaret was talking about health care and the importance of health care. And I think that there are a lot of people who believe that's the main issue, but the uh, issues really got lost this time in the horse race and in the desire to get rid of the win liberals. Uh, Jerry, what do you think? Well, you know, Libby, if I wanted to convince, you know, the Russians or the Chinese or the Iranians to embrace our democratic system, I would not showcase this Ontario election. <laughs> in fact, I would do everything I could to hide it, because it's not been a very inspiring race. It's, it's basically been what I would call a rejectionist kind of campaign. In other words, people just don't like win, and they don't like the liberals, and they just want anything else. They just want an alternative. So the, the, the ballot choice is basically not about issues, not about health care. The issue has been who do you find least objectionable? And that's what I think what people are going to be deciding tomorrow. And that's, that's not exactly inspirational when you think about our democratic system. Well, yeah, and, and Ryan, there's this whole issue, you know, as, as certainly when you read commentary or talk to people, I mean, basically, voters don't believe anyone. Yeah, I mean, they feel so strongly uh, about all of the leaders that it, it really has made the issues go to the back of the, uh, of the bus. Um, the the issues have the politicians have made all kinds of announcement, announcements about policy. There's been uh, announcements about uh, apartments and about uh, health care, but there's just been no focus on it from the voters. The voters have been really driven towards uh, just the personalities of the leaders, and I I think that's something we've actually seen in a number of elections across jurisdictions. So actually, I'm not sure that we think it's going to change too much in the future. We actually saw, certainly, we saw quite a few voters actually discussing the issues. I, I think it was actually the the leaders who turned it into a mudslinging at the last debate with, you know, you've got radical candidates, but you don't have a platform. When we were actually watching on social media, while I agree that it has come down to, you know, it's a reaction against win and it's, and it's for change, I agree that's definitely part of it. But we have seen, actually two main issues come up that people have talked about. NDP supporters, for NDP supporters, it is about health care and dental care specifically. People really reacted well to Andrew Horvath's plan on dental care. And for uh, Doug Ford supporters, it was really about the economy, jobs, and um, getting hydro rates under control, taxes under control. So definitely we saw that... that um, that the electorate were discussing issues and they wanted the candidates to discuss issues. Like even though, like I said, when the scandals came up, it didn't change people's vote because people are actually focused on issues like Margaret. They're focused on healthcare and things like that. And they would actually like to see the politicians doing less of the mudslinging and more of the, 
what are you going to do for me and how are you going to pay for it? But the thing is, like, political parties are always looking to move votes. And if they felt that it was going to pay off for them to discuss the issues, they would be discussing the issues. And they've tried. They've made some attempts at it. But at the end of the day, it's come down to the things that are moving votes are their personal, our voters' personal feelings. That's what the parties are finding in their own uh, estimation. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. I've, I've, I've said we, we have actually found when there were scandals, whether it was King of Surma or any of these, it did not change people's votes. Even with the liberals, I mean, they were low already, and so I guess there was no lower to go. But it's basically been when we see scandals, people talk about it. Even like with Andrea Horvath's $1.4 billion mistake, people talked about it, but then they they moved on. It was, okay, she made a mistake, and let's get back down to the issues. We, we really saw that the electorate was really open to having something about issues. Yes, it is about moving votes, but we didn't find that those scandals moved the votes. We found that um, certainly in the beginning when Andrew Horvath was out and, and talking and meeting people and talking about her plan, people reacted well to that. That's what caused her momentum. And when she started the mudslinging, when she started to get into that, she started to plateau. Um, my take on it was that as soon as she moved into the lead, uh, which was, what, about 10 days ago, people started to take a much harder look. And my take was that people started looking at things like who's in her cabinet. And yeah. And I think that I wouldn't call it a scandal, but the little eruptions over some very radical candidates probably played into that. Uh, Jerry and Ryan, did you see that happening? Did she kind of peak too early? Well, that's that's sort sort of was my take. Is that the the, the danger? We, a couple of weeks ago, we were seeing all these headlines where you know NDP soaring ahead and they're ahead by ten points, which is great. You always want to get momentum in your campaign. But I think the problem for the NDP was maybe they just peaked too early. And the problem with that is, I think, mainly, is the brand, is the NDP brand. You know, this is a socialist party. And Ontarians tend to be a little bit risk-averse. And so the idea of putting, you know, socialists in charge, you know, who would that, what would that mean for our economy, what would that mean for our markets, and all that kind of stuff, I think that gave people, you know, sober second thought about voting for the NDP. And even though Ford... You know, it's far from perfect. At least not a communist. <laughs> well, uh, how damaging was Andrea Horvath's statement that she would not ever use back-to-work legislation? Well, I think that played well with her base, and I think that's what she was aiming it at. Um, it it, 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 it might have been one of those things which, again, socialist. Um, is she putting the unions, uh, the benefit of the unions, ahead of the benefit of Ontario's economy? Yeah, that that could have been something that which got people to think, hey, you know what, Do really want to give the keys to the economy, you know, to Harvath and her NDP legions. It really reaffirms a lot of the things that people have a preconceived notion of how the New Democrats behave in government, right? And it sort of reinforces and makes people take a second look at whether this is something they really want to do. And as I, as I was saying earlier, like, uh, Andrea Horvath and the NDP probably peaked about 10 days too early because... If you see it in other jurisdictions like Alberta, for instance, their peak comes right right before the election, before people have time to really focus in on the, the details of what can go wrong. Ah. And uh, Horvath peaked just a bit too early, and people started taking a real hard look at some of these, these policies. In, in which case, Doug Ford peaked really too early. <laughs> but he's been uh, kind of, uh, his personal popularity has been losing since then, but I guess he's uh, still in good shape, right? Well, I think part of the problem for Ford was that they peaked so early, that they were ahead of the race when it started, because 
that meant he really had no place to go but down, and it meant the NDP really had no place to go but up. So that created that couple of weeks there, that created this narrative that Ford was losing, that he was losing momentum, and that the NDP was gaining ground. And this is the kind of thing you don't really want to see happen in your campaign. People want to be in a moving train. Um, and and, and you know, for a while there, it looked like the NDP was the moving train. I agree with Ryan. Your timing was just a little bit too, just a little bit off. If they were peaking right now, they'd be in a much better situation. Okay, let's hear from Bob in Etobicoke. Hello, Bob. Hello, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not bad. I've been paying close attention to all of the rhetoric from the various campaigns, and I agree that we need more um, hospital, uh, hospitals and doctors and nurses, and we need, um, well, they talk about education. Well, that's fine, except how do you pay for it? The amount of debt that Ontario has right now, if the interest rates were to go up by 1%, we would have to close a lot of that stuff. So what I, I'm, voting, I'm voting for it. I, I know he's got some problems. I don't, you know, but that's, I need a change. So um, jobs is important. If he can get the hydro rates down, that's going to help. It's going to help business. Now, the NDP is talking about cutting corporate tax or raising corporate tax. Corporate tax, if you take the money out of the corporations in tax, that's less dividends. And dividends go mainly to pension funds. Then they talked about them, well, the last time the Conservatives in, they sold Highway 407. I did some checking in it, and it was the best thing that they could have ever done because Highway 40, 407 is now worth $45 billion. But who owns it? Well, well Spanish company. Pension Plan owns 40%. S&C 11 owns 16.5%. A German consortium owns about 42%. But that consortium, they have to pay tax on the profit they make. So the money that the provincial government of Ontario is getting out of that is a tremendous amount of money, a lot mm-hmm. more than the $3 billion they sold it for. Uh, a, a lot of people would certainly disagree with you on, on that one, on the 407. But, Bob, I hear you. Thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Simone in Parkdale. Hello, Simone. Hi there. Um, there's no way I would vote for Horvath. I mean, she's got all these people she supports, makes excuses for, Nazi sympathizers, communist sympathizers, police haters, one who made a racial slur against the chief because she feels she can do it because she's black and gay, and then her current loss of approval of, of unions, her support of unions. Uh, you've got students who are losing part of their education, and she, won't, she would not do anything about that. And it would also discourage investment in the province if you're going to have unions taking advantage of it and going on prolonged strikes, you know, and uh, so, and then she says she cares about the seniors. Uh, today, in today's findings about uh, the nurse wet lawfer, they said that unions were partly responsible for keeping her in power. Well, that, you know, the, we're, we're actually, that's going to be our uh, our next uh, topic on the show, so uh, yeah, well, Simone, I think that's stay important. tuned. I mean, this is, unions should not be allowed to protect people who are danger to people. Uh, well, I think I think you'd get no argument on that, and I think we can uh, figure out how you're voting tomorrow. That's right, and Horvath would do nothing about that, so that's that's why I would vote for it. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. Jerry in Burlington. Hi, Jerry. Well, hello. Uh, well, I tell you something. I'm really glad this campaign is almost over with all the mudslinging, some legitimate, others not. Now, 
Isn't it interesting that Renata Ford came up with these accusations now, a couple of days before the election, when the accused, uh, Doug, has no opportunity to defend himself? I think that's very conspicuous and very unfair. Yeah, well, she she chose uh, she chose to file the lawsuit at a time when uh, she would have the most leverage, I guess. Of course, of course, you know. So now, God knows. Now, one last thing, I would like to tell the voters who are listening that Andrea Horwath does not have the money to pay for all the freebies uh, that she is promising, and if they think that they will be better off with Andrea than with Wynn, then they would be very unpleasantly surprised. So please, people, think twice before voting, and good luck to all of us. Okay, thanks, Jerry, for that. Bye. Bye. And frankly, uh, none of them uh, seem to really have the money for the things they promised. Uh, I'm going to take one more call, and then we get back to our panel to uh, wrap things up. We've got Roxanne in Guelph. Hello, Roxanne. Uh, hi, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I is the second time I call related to the subject in discussion right now. Uh, as I said two weeks ago, none of these candidates deserve their place. The reason is, Ford is in this game just for his own gain, business related. Uh, from all three, I see Andrea Horvath the worst, the, the most dangerous. This is a woman who is not in this thing to do something for people. She's in this thing for her own gain and to uh, use this level as a platform for, um, you know, higher position than this one right now. And uh, the, the third lady, Catherine, is playing a silly game, a childish game. Is like, you know, vote for four, don't vote for uh, Andrea Horvath. Uh, it's like, you know, like a kid with tantrums. She doesn't really know what she wants unless she plays the game to redirect the votes to wherever, she, you know, she thinks she has a little bit of game. Okay, Roxanne. Now, Roxanne, thank you very much for that. Appreciate your call. Uh, we have to wrap things up. On that note, Roxanne was saying none of the above. So uh, uh, what's a turnout going to be like before we go? Erin, do you have any sense of that? Well, you know, it's interesting. We use two measurements to, to try and gauge what the turnout will be. One is how engaged people are in the election. And like I said, people are very, very engaged. There's lots of discussion, which is always a good sign. However, we see that a lot of, uh, in particular, some ridings, um, like Sault Ste. Marie, which we think is a swing riding, has undecided is upwards of 24%. So when there's high undecided, you sometimes worry that people will say, well, I'm not passionate about any of these people, so I'll just stay home, or if something comes up, they don't go to the polls. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, an indicator that there will be a good turnout, there's always a lower turnout for provincial than for federal, usually expect about 50%. Um, but with the high undecided, I think that's a bit worrisome. Okay. And, uh, Jerry, what would you like to leave us with? And do you have a sense of the turnout? Uh, my sense is the turnout is going to be low. Um, I think there's probably will be a lot of disillusioned liberals, especially, who won't you know, work up the energy to go to vote for what would be a losing cause. So I think that's going to hurt them. 
Other than that, you know what? I hate to say it, but I'll agree with the machine uh, about a PC majority government. Uh, I don't like to agree with the machine because I don't like the idea of a robot, you know, maybe one day doing my job. Um, <laughs> well, but, yeah, I, I, I think we're heading in that direction. Let's not slag, Polly. Okay, Ryan, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, one thing that I'd be watching for is uh, a shy conservative vote, which often the conservative parties overperform their polls. And uh, I expect with Ford, who has been quite a, a lightning rod for criticism, that there are a, a lot of shy voters out there who are not going to be posting on their social media or telling pollsters that they're going to go out and vote for somebody who's been such a such a uh, criticized figure for so long. I, uh, I think that it may that may be the, may be the direction it's going in. Okay, uh, all very interesting. Thank you so much, Aaron Kelly, Jerry Nichols, and Ryan Guptill. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.